Hello, Grace Assembly. Wasn't that a life-giving time for us to worship the Lord together? Um, we have had some problems with this very expensive microphone that is currently on my head right now. So I'm going to turn this off for a bit. And How's this? Now, what's really depressing about this is, is that this microphone is way cheaper than the one that's on my head. But it's working right now, so we're going to go with it. Um, I am so glad that you're here today because you could be anywhere uh, at this point in time and be doing anything at this moment. So I am glad that you have prioritized the gathering together to worship Jesus. Now, I want to hear from you guys a little bit about the rest of your day. So, who here is going to be gathering together with family later on today? Okay, there's a few people. Apparently, the first service folks are very antisocial, and almost none of them raise their hands. Um, but I'm glad that you guys are going to have that time to get with family. Uh, who here it has a big meal planned? You're going to have a big meal Maybe with family. Okay, a couple of you. Okay. Eating is good on a Sunday, I promise you. You're not breaking the Sabbath. Uh, here's a really important question. Who here is going to come back for our Sunday night prayer meeting with Pastors Larry and Pastor Sharon and our Board of Elders? Okay, a couple of you here and there. Yes? Okay. I, I, I noticed that Pastors Larry and Sharon raised their hands, so that's good since they're leading it. Um, so that's good. Now, here's a really important question that I want you to consider, that I want to know the answer. Who here, at some point today after service, after service, is going to take a nap? Yeah. Whoa! Excitement all across the room. Now, notice I said after service, after service. But naps are glorious, aren't they? They're wonderful, wonderful things. It's something that was drilled into me when I was a young person. And when I was a child, we would go to service, we would go to church, we would have a meal as a family, and then we took a nap. And there's a lot of things that I probably should have outgrown as a child and didn't, but you know what? I'm keeping the naps. They're mine, and then they'll be mine forevermore. Amen. <clears throat> And here's, here's, the, here's the thing, I, because of my schedule and because things have changed in my life, I don't always get the opportunities to take my Sunday afternoon nap, hence the frowny face. It's a terrible travesty to me, but I still hold a special place for naps in my heart. And when I get the opportunity to take a nap, I feel like an angel is being born. I feel like it's that feel-good movie that we've seen over and over again. You know, the one where the baseball team struggles all throughout the season, and then they turn the season around, and then they overcome their bullies in the championship game. I feel like that. It feels like watching a puppy lick a crying face of a toddler. You just want to cry majestic tears of joy. It's wonderful. Now, some of you are pulling back from me right now. 
Why are you this excited about naps? Just calm down. Is he really going to do a whole sermon on naps? Yes! A whole sermon on naps. And to tell you a little bit, of, uh, to, sh to show you on how uh, important I think naps are, I, I, I want to show you something here. Now, please be aware that this is a safe place. I'm going to keep it G-rated here. It's not that kind of a, uh, a church. But I have actually purchased clothing to boldly proclaim this wonderful truth that Jesus took naps be like Jesus. Thank you and goodbye. No, there's more. Uh, Jesus took naps, be like Jesus. Now, Ephesians promises us that for those who are in Christ Jesus, he has given us every spiritual blessing. So I'm going to claim this blessing in the name of Jesus. I'm going to claim the blessing of naps. Now, honestly, when I first saw this, obviously I was excited. To be that to be that excited about something. It's like shouting in a mall, in a, in a mall full of strangers, hey everybody, I like naps! And then to have them look at you like, is he really just shouting that he likes naps? What is that all about? And why do I like naps? I can just simply point, cause Jesus. It's easy to, it, it, it rationalizes and it spiritualizes something that uh, sometimes you can say, well that's a lazy thing to do. So I like the idea of being that excited about naps. But it also causes some tension in me. You see, I struggle with the idea of biblical rest. I struggle with that. And so the idea of looking, uh, uh, looking at something like taking naps and think, you know what, I really could be doing something else right now. I could be productive. There's so many things I can do right now. And so uh, there's a part of me that struggles with the biblical idea of rest. And it's not like that is not, it's not like I, I haven't been taught the idea of rest. I, I, I grew up in a Christian home. And so my parents did teach me about rest. And there's a lots of other things that I was taught as a child that for whatever reason I didn't grasp, I couldn't get a hold of. Like the idea of God's grace, I couldn't grasp that. But for whatever reason, when it came to hard work and when it came to service, for some reason, I embraced that. And that's not to puff, pump myself up or anything like that. That just happened to be the one thing that I happened to grasp. And I think part of it was because I had a mom and dad that worked hard. They modeled that work ethic to me. And they taught that work ethic. And I also had grandparents who worked hard. In fact, I had a set of grandparents that started a church in Baldwinsville and modeled for years what it was like to serve in a church context. So when it came to serving in the church, when it came to working hard, for whatever reason, I found it comfortable and I found it familiar. And so, as, as such, um, I don't see the gospel as a halfway proposition. I believe that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are all in. And that means that being tired isn't necessarily an excuse to shirk your responsibilities to the kingdom of God and to the responsibilities around you. Amen? 
Being tired doesn't necessarily shirk your responsibilities. There is always going to be struggle. There is going to be hurt. There's going to be pain. And there will even be times of inconvenience. But we remain committed because we have been empowered by the Holy Spirit to do so. We persevere because this is a temporary transition time to the eternal reward that Christ has called us heavenward. And so, with that being said, I want you to know that when I talk to you about biblical rest, just know that it is just as much of a challenge to me as it it might be for you. But wouldn't it be great for all of us who are followers of Jesus Christ to embrace the whole word of God? The whole word of God. So we embrace the idea of hard work. We embrace the idea of service. We embrace the idea of working for, uh, for the furthering of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we also embrace the idea of biblical rest. Can you agree that this is not an either or scenario? It is a both and. And so since both are found in the word of God, let's embrace all of it. Let's not be on one side. Let's not be on the other. Let's embrace the whole thing that we are going to rest and we're also going to be empowered to do the work of the gospel. There, is, there are many occasions where Jesus exercised biblical rest and on one such occasion, what did he do? He took a nap. He took a nap on a boat in the middle of a lake in the middle of a storm. And we find this story, and it's found in three of the four Gospels, so that tells me that God really wanted this truth to uh, get nailed down into us. And so we're going to take a look at Mark's depiction of that story. So go to Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. And by the way, if you, if you scan that QR code in front of you, it'll take you to our online bulletin and it'll have all the scriptures loaded ready for you to go. So Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. That day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side, leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up and rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet! Be still. And then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, Why are you afraid? Why do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Now the first thing I noticed should be relatively obvious. He was asleep. Jesus was asleep. Now think about this for a moment. The God of the universe, who has all power, was tired enough that he grabbed a cushion and he fell asleep. Notice I mentioned the cushion. Dude got himself comfortable before he went to sleep. And so to me, that perfectly explains the humanity of Jesus. Now Jesus was fully God, but he was also fully human. And so that humanity of him being involved in all sorts of things, he found that to be a perfect time for him to rest. 
And that, 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 that is something that I want us all to consider is because when we think about it, we all need rest. We all need rest. Matthew's account of this story is found in Matthew chapter 8. And it gives you the impression that Jesus had been teaching and performing miracles for a period of time. And a crowd began to gather because of it. And we find in Matthew 8, 18, it says, When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. So Matthew gives a little more context to where we started in Mark. But notice, he was gathering a crowd around him. Isn't that what we want in ministry? We want people to hear the gospel. We want people to come. We want people uh, to be healed in Jesus' name. And so we see Jesus doing something, and it's gathering a crowd. And what does he do? He goes away. He says, enough. It's time for me to get away. Now, to focus on ministry and church work for a moment, some of you are finding yourself in a position that you have been going strong for so long that you find yourself empty. You've been trying to do stuff and do stuff, and you've been doing stuff even in the name of Jesus. And after a while, you realize there's nothing more for me to give. Can I give you permission today to admit that you might be tired? Can I give you permission to consider the possibility that some of you might need to step away just for a moment to rest just like Jesus did? Sometimes we find ourselves going so hard, so hard, and we convince ourselves that it's okay because we're doing it for a good cause. We're tiring ourselves out for a good cause. And then we find ourselves up to the point where we're, we're ready to give some more, and we reach down, and there's nothing left. Maybe it's time for some of you to consider rest. When I was in football, it was strongly, strongly suggested that you never come out of the game because you're tired. You never admit that you're hurt. Now, I think some of that might have been because my freshman year, there was only 17 of us, and so we had to play both ways, and we didn't have the option for someone to be tired. But when I was in football, I, I recognized that I never came out of a game. I never admitted that I was tired. Tired was expected because you're going to be exerting yourself. Of course, there's going to be moments that you're going to be tired. So I just, I just figured that's normal. I'm pushing through it. That's it. But if I'm honest with you today, there are moments where if I came out of the game, the team may have benefited more because somebody who was refreshed and rested would have come into the game and contributed to the game. Sometimes we just need to let somebody else come in who has been refreshed and do the work that we can't do anymore. We are in the midst of introducing ourselves a streamlined on-ramp system to our ministries at Grace Assembly. And in part we did that because there were people who were coming here on a Sunday morning and here time and time and time and they didn't know how to make a difference with their service. They didn't know how to connect with somebody and say, I'm interested in serving in this capacity. And so we introduced this system, Serving with Grace, 
so that somebody can come along and get connected in an easy way. But we also did it because there were several ministries who were so low on volunteers that the volunteers that were connected were working double. And they've been working double for so long that they're starting to get empty and we need somebody else to come in and help out so that they can take a break, so that they can rest. Now let's take a look at the secular work field. God has called us all to work hard, right? To honor our employers, to demonstrate that work ethic, to worship him as we work. But hear me, God has not called you to lay down your life for your paycheck. God has not called you to lay down your life for your paycheck. At no point does the Bible state, you know what, you should probably uh, abandon your family so for the sake of your job. At no point does the Bible say that you should abandon your family for your job. And so you having an adulterous relationship with your job, that's a scandal. Abandoning your children as orphans for your job is an abomination. It is unbalanced. It's time to put that back into its right order and put that back in its right priority. When you come home, is it hard to turn off? Do you find yourself constantly going over the things that happen at work and the things that need uh, to be fixed? Is it difficult to relax? Is it difficult to sleep? Maybe it's time for you to embrace the biblical practice of rest. It takes humility to realize that you're tired. It takes relinquishing control to take a time of rest. Many times we don't want uh, someone to come in and do our job because they're going to do it differently. They might have different things that they focus on, different things that they prioritize. But you cannot micromanage your way to health when it comes to church work. And you can't micromanage your way to health when it comes to your job. It outright robs God, it robs your job, and it robs the people of God who have our same mission of lifting up the name of Jesus Christ. If we are truly going to be the body of Christ, then we need to let Christ be the head. Let him direct the footsteps of the church. Let the Holy Spirit supernaturally and empower and equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. Let yourself model Jesus by getting away to recharge and letting somebody else step in and be the body of Christ. If Jesus was all-powerful and had to rest, then we shouldn't be so prideful that we choose not to. To say that we're more important than Jesus makes us to be an idol. An idol that is deserving to be ripped down in the name of Jesus. It's time for us to rest. That brings us to our second point. Storms shouldn't rob us of rest. Storms should not rob us of rest. Now check out Jesus' reaction. He seemed grumpy, didn't he? He seemed like somebody who, I don't know, maybe got woken up from a nap. Prematurely. He's like, what are you bothering me for? There's, no, there's nothing to deal with here. It seemed inappropriate even. And now I'm not saying it was inappropriate. He's Jesus. He can't be inappropriate. But it seemed like 
the, the disciples had a worthy reason for them to be concerned. And that brings us to a map that I wanted to show you of the Sea of Galilee. This is where the story took place. Now, the Sea of Galilee had four of, of Jesus' disciples fish that same lake uh, all throughout their lives. We have Peter, we have John, we have Andrew, uh, we have uh, James, and they all spent their lives fishing that lake. And so they know it's history. They know what's coming. And so when the storm came, they're like, oh, I've seen this before, we're about to die. They had a reason to be concerned. And so when Jesus goes and says, why are you afraid? They're like, uh, storm, I've seen this before. If we don't leave now, we're going to die. Please help. Now here's another thing. The Lake of Galilee is placed uh, in, a, in a piece of land that can be described as a bowl. So you see the southern part here? This is relatively flat. But if you go around the west side, the north side, and the east side, these are all steep cliffs and mountainsides that surround the lake. Now on the east side here, you have the Golan Heights. And then over here is the Huron Plateau. So this area is about 2,700 feet that goes straight up from the lake. And so the wind that's up here will come flying down the steep slope and hit the lake and then start swirling around the bowl. And so you'll have these storms that will pop up suddenly. And because the wind is swirling around such, it creates very choppy waters. So not only is there a historical reason for the disciples to be concerned, there's a scientific reason as well. There was a reason for them to be anxious. But Jesus still had this response, why are you afraid? One of the things that I have come to realize is, is that God doesn't always calm the storm. Sometimes he gives you the strength to go through the storm. And that is a very big difference. Because I think a lot of times we want the storm to be calm. And thankfully, he does do that. He, we find in this passage he was very gracious to the disciples and said, you know what, I'm going to calm the storm in this situation. I'm going to let you know that I am the God of the universe who can control all things, including nature. But sometimes when you're in the midst of the storm, he doesn't remove the situation. He doesn't calm uh, the storm. Instead, he calms your heart. And he gives you the power to walk through the storm and get to the other side. Right now, some of you are going through a storm. And you've been going through it for a while. And you've been asking God, please calm this storm. Don't you know I can't take it anymore? I can't take another step. Don't you see I'm drowning here? Will you please understand that God is right here at this moment and while he may calm the storm or he might not either way he is with you and he is speaking to your heart and he is empowering you to take that next step in Jesus name and then take that next step in Jesus name and by the time you get to the end you realize that you have just gone through this crazy storm but because of the supernatural power of Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit you walk through and you have been unscathed 
Philippians talks about what it is like uh, for us to be content. And that contentment can lead to us having peace and rest. In Philippians it says that we can be content even when we have a lot. Now doesn't that make sense? That we can be content when we have a lot? I mean, it's right there. We have a lot. We have a lot of stuff. A lot of things to empower us. A lot of things to equip us. But you take a look at this culture. Whether you're poor, whether you're in the middle class, whether you're rich. If you end up accumulating stuff, a lot of times what is the temptation? To get more stuff, right? And so you get more stuff. And then you say, you know what? I'll be content when I have more stuff. I'll be, I'll be able to rest. I'll be able to be at peace if I have more stuff. And so you end up looking all around you and you find your contentment here and it ends up failing time and time again. There are so many times where I have relied on my own situation to give me contentment, to give me rest, and it has failed. But if I only trusted in Jesus Christ, you see, that's the thing. If our contentment was in the stuff, then it would have worked. But that verse in Philippians doesn't call us to be content in the stuff. It says even though we have a lot, we can still be content. Why? Because we're we're trusting in Jesus Christ who provided those things. That verse in Philippians goes on to say that we can be content Even if we don't have anything, we can still be content. We can still be at rest. Why? Because Jesus Christ will provide for you even if you have nothing around you. There are Christians all over this world today that don't have a stinking thing. But you know what? They are content and they have peace and rest because they're trusting in Jesus Christ. One of the stories that I found amazing when I went to Haiti is is that during the hurricane that happened a few years ago, and they've been hit a bunch of times since then, but one of the hurricanes that came through, they brought through uh, two women, and they found that they were trapped under rubble and stuff like that. They brought them to a hospital, and they found that they had to amputate their legs because of their injuries. And you know what ended up happening? Is, is that they ended up holding hands, and they ended up singing songs to God in the midst of the storm around them. Why? Because their contentment was in Jesus Christ and not in the situation around them. For some of us, it's time for us to stop praying exclusively for God to remove the storm. Some of us might need to include this additional prayer that is not a lack of faith. In fact, it is, it is full of faith. But you're saying, God, remove this storm, or at the very least, give me the power and the strength to walk through it. That even though I have a hurricane surrounding me, I am anchored to the rock of Jesus Christ, and that even though there's all this stuff around here, I will not be shaken. I will not be moved. 
I will be steadfast here, not because of my own strength, not because of anything else, but because the God of the universe who raised Jesus from the dead has the same power and life that is living on the inside of me. And I can simply say, I am at rest. I am at peace because God has my back. I won't be shaken. I won't be moved. Our third point, God's providence guarantees our rest. God's providence guarantees our rest. One of the lowest points in my life was in Bible school. That seems strange to admit. You see, for I had, a, I had this fantasy, uh, a fantasy of what Bible college was going to look like. I had already gone to Evangel College where I was going to play football and I tried to tweak God's plan in my life and try to make it fit my own plan. And because I was in my own power, that failed. So I went to Bible school. And the school I went to was the exact opposite of the other school. The other school, you had, you had people who were in all of these secular professions. You had people who were drinking and drunk and all this other stuff. And even though it was a Christian school, you had all of this craziness going on. So I figured, I'm going to go to Bible school because surely none of those things are going to be there. People are never going to be annoying at Bible school. In fact, people are going to be, always be for you and is always going to be your friend in Bible school. In fact, people are always going to be biblical and always going to be Christians in Bible school, right? And when I was there, I started to realize that that wasn't going to be the utopia that I was hoping for. And because I was uh, all focused on all sorts of other things other than Jesus Christ, I found myself in the exact same place again where I was lost in Bible school, learning to be a minister. And so I found myself with the shades drawn in my room, never leaving my room. I was clinically depressed, and I was even to the point of being suicidal. And so I never left my room, so it was really hard for me to do well in my classes since I never went there. We didn't have the online class stuff that is here today. So when I didn't go to class, I didn't go to class. Did well on the tests, did very well on the papers, but since they counted attendance, that was kind of a problem. And it was very easy for somebody on the outside to see my inactivity and think, he's just lazy. To see my inactivity and say, what a slug. Snap out of it. What's the matter with you? And so I would try to snap out of it, but in my depressed suicidal state, there was simply nothing left for me to do. I would try so hard, and I would try to pray my way out. I would try to read the Bible on the, uh, my, uh, and try to get that out of it. I would try to work and work and work, and at the end of it, there was simply nothing left. All that was around me was darkness. Nothing. No victory. No hope. I was stuck. My parents called me up one time and they could tell something was wrong and so they kept on pushing what's wrong what's wrong and I finally admitted to them I don't know if I can do this anymore I don't know if I can take another step because I'm done 
There's nothing left. Very next day, after a night of me crying, very next day, there's a knock on my door when I should have been at chapel. It was my dad. He had driven the four and a half to five, uh, five hours uh, to get there. And so he showed up. I opened the door. There he is. I'm expecting him to bring some sort of condemnation, some sort of admonishment. Why aren't you in class? But instead of condemnation, what I ended up receiving was grace. He gave me a hug. He told me he loved me. And he told me that things are going to be okay. Now let's go for a ride. And so he got me out of my room with the shades drawn and full of darkness. Got me off the campus. And he took me to a bunch of places where I could simply be out of my environment and receive some rest. We ended up going to a cranberry farm that had to do something with ocean spray. And uh, there's a few other things that, were, that we did as well. But I think that my father's response there perfectly modeled the heart of God. So for some of you today, you don't see anything around you. you there is no rest. Because you're depressed, you're so distressed about the situation around you, and God is saying today, I'm not here to condemn you. I'm not here to condemn you because you're tired. I'm not even here to condemn you because you failed. I am here to lovingly embrace you, to give you a, a hope and a future. I am here to, to lovingly tell you that here I am, all you have to do is trust in me. Jesus said he got up and rebuked the wind and he said to the waves, quiet, be still. For some of you today, God is saying, be still. But he's not saying it to the storm. He's saying it to your heart. Psalms 46.10 starts off with, he says, be still and know that I am God. Notice that second part. It's one thing for me to say, be still, stop worrying, be restful, be at peace. Why can we be still? Because we know God. And the reason why that matters is because we found in Romans 5a, God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And in Romans 8.28, and we know that all things, uh, God works for the good for those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. When God has already established the resume of his providence, we can have rest in the midst of any storm. Now, when Jesus said to his disciples, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? I don't know about you, but my inner lawyer comes out. I have self-righteous indignation. And I have a feeling that if Jesus went and asked me, why are you afraid? Why don't you have faith? I feel like my response would have been, because I'm not Jesus. If I had the power of the universe at my fingertips, I would have Thanos snapped that storm out of existence too. But guess what? I'm not Jesus, so why are you hassling me for something that you know I clearly don't have the abilities that you have? 
But Jesus ended up still talking to them, right? He still ended up saying to them, why do you not have faith? And it must be because he thought that we should have been able to have faith. We should have been able to have that rest in that moment. Now think about this. We have the privilege of hindsight. We can see all of scripture and we can see that moment in Jesus' life here on this earth. And later on, we see the crucifixion, right? So we have a moment where there's people all around Jesus who have known the storms of that lake all of their life and they're convinced they're going to die. This is a death situation. And Jesus had, already, had proven uh, later on in his life that he was capable of dying. So he could have potentially died in that storm. And so we find him still being at rest, still having peace. Why? Because he had faith in his heavenly father who put him in that situation. He had faith and trust that the God of the universe, his heavenly father, has a purpose for his life. For some of you today, you need to be encouraged that you don't have to be Jesus Christ. You don't have to be one of the apostles. You don't have to be a pastor or a teacher or an evangelist or a missionary or anything like that. That the God of the universe is looking straight at your soul right now and says, I love you, I care for you, and I have a purpose for your life. So no matter what happens, you are loved. No matter what is going on around you, I will give you the strength to get through and no matter what you have the ability to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ with all authority and power that, that the Holy Spirit can give you. Right now you have that same power living on the inside of you. It's time for you to embrace that power so that you don't get sapped of your strength and that you can be at rest. For some of you today, you need to be reminded of the promise in Psalms 37, 23 through 24. The Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him. Though he may stumble, he will not fall. For the Lord upholds him with his right hand. Don't you know that God has your back? You can't fall further uh, uh, um, to the point of no return. Christ has you, and he will lift you up. You have to have the faith and be still and know that he is God. We know that we all need rest. We know that we can rest in the midst of our storms. We know that God's providence is what enables us to rest in the midst of a storm. Finally, we can know that our rest fuels our mission. Our rest fuels our mission. Some of you today need to hear that the storm that you are, you are in could have been avoided if you had only chosen to rest. That you got yourself in this storm because you didn't obey that biblical concept of rest. We could save ourselves so much trouble if we simply balance the principles of working for the kingdom of God and working our responsibilities with our family and working the responsibilities of work and balancing that with rest. How many of you like to read? Now, how many of you know the difference in reading when you're tired 
and reading when you're energized. I don't know about you, but for me, I end up reading the same thing over and over and over again. And I keep on reading it and thinking, eventually this is going to sink in. And so I either come to my senses and put it down so that I can rest and be able to pick it up later on, or I power through, finish the chapter, and find I have to read the chapter again because I can't remember what happened. Some of you today, your wheels have been spinning. You've been doing the same thing over and over and over again, hoping to eventually get traction and move forward. But now is the time for you to embrace rest. Put it down for a moment so that when you pick it back up again, you can finally be useful. You can be effective. But you have to put the thing down first. You have to rest. Some of you today, that is going to be your challenge for you to consider. Is it time for me to walk away just for a moment so that I can finally be recharged and when I get back to work again, it will be productive, it will be effective because I am rested. For some of you, you have been going through this and you've been asking God to take the storm away, but God is telling you this is a moment for you to be repowered by the Holy Spirit, to move forward in faith, because you are you are not you're not here to uh, to to simply go through this life without opposition. Some of you need to recognize that as. Pentecostals, we believe all of the Word of God. And that includes the part that says that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That is our calling. We are called to reach all of the world. Praise God that we raised over $1,800 for the children of Africa. But you know what? We're not done. There's people here in Syracuse that still need to hear the gospel. There's people all over the world that still need to hear the gospel. There's still work to be done. So while we embrace this concept of rest, when we are working, why don't we be empowered to work? Why don't we be empowered to do what only God can do? For some of you today, you need to seek that baptism in the Holy Spirit. To be, more, to be more correct, to seek the Holy Spirit and allow Him to give you the gift. Because for some of us today, we've been spinning our wheels. And all we need is that extra push, that extra power from the Holy Spirit. Will you bow your heads with me? Today, when I was talking about being clinically depressed and suicidal, some of you today are said to yourself, that is me. I don't see any hope. I see no way out of this. In fact, I have reached the point where I think there is nothing more for me to do. I might as well end it. 
Will you be encouraged today that the God of the universe is reaching down and saying, I love you. I haven't abandoned you. And now is the time for you to simply rest in my presence. For some of you today, you realize that you need that empowerment of the Holy Spirit and you have tried time and time again to get it. Well, today is the day where you don't have to try. You just simply have to say, God, if this is for me, I want to receive it. Sometimes when we stop striving to get that gift, God is then able to just give it and place it in our hands. We're going to call the prayer team forward. Sometime, sometimes we need other Christians to agree with us in prayer. We need to talk this out. So today, if you want to talk to somebody about the darkness that you are experiencing, if you want to talk about being empowered with the Holy Spirit, if you just simply want to agree and uh, and, uh, and walking in obedience to what Christ has called you to and putting something down, then today I encourage you to come forward and talk with one of these experienced Christians who have gone through the same thing and can agree with you together that God is here to give you rest. So the worship team is going to... Uh, 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 lead our hearts in a spiritual direction. I want you to consider what this is. The Holy Spirit will speak to your heart. You just have to listen. So after a couple of moments of listening, if that pulling is there, please come forward. Please come forward. Don't just sit there and, and, and think that it's going to be okay. Come forward and seal this in prayer with somebody right now in Jesus' name. So let's